0: 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. When you find it, say, I got it. Amen, amen. If you need a minute, say, just a minute. Yes, All right, praise God. Praise God. we in, we in Peter for for a while. So when you come in, the little bookmark, just put it on 1 Peter. You can you know, hook you up like that, amen. <laughs> amen, amen, praise the Lord. All right, uh, First Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. The word says to us, The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. And this is the word, the good news that was preached to you. Amen. amen, amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. We're continuing our series entitled Exiles Studies in 1 Peter. And today, Want to talk to you for a few moments about this thought experiencing transformational love. Experiencing transformational love. Now, on this past Friday, I had the opportunity to sit as a member of a talk show panel on WLTH radio here in the city of Gary. The topic of this hour long conversation focused upon religion and black history, with the operative question being, where do we go from here? And on the panel was a pastor of a church in Gary, uh, as well as another gentleman who practices what might easily be termed as African folk religion. It was my assumption that while there were two professed Christians on the panel we both would agree on the basic truth that the gospel was the transformational agent and message needed to raise the consciousness of this community and thereby add hope to the lives of those trapped by the despair of crisis living or bound by past errors which intrude upon any dream for better circumstances in this life. My brothers and sisters, my heart aches as I report to you that I was wrong about the agreement between two Christian leaders. Well, I tried to consistently emphasize that the gospel of Jesus Christ is that which people need to begin the necessary transformation required to live a fruitful and productive life. This was not the message coming from my other brother in Christ. While I expected that the gentleman representing African folk religion would not focus his comments on Christ. I was surprised and somewhat dismayed that my fellow pastor spent more time talking about the victimization of black and brown people than he did about the gospel. In fact, he barely mentioned the gospel, let alone its power to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. In this encounter, it is this encounter that drove home the reality that far too many believers, black, white, brown, or whatever your ethnic designation, find themselves defending ethnic rights or ethnic superiority rather than loving each other with a transformational love produced by a sincere belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, too many believers shamefully criticize political leaders not simply for their policies, but through personal attacks on their families or physical attributes. I do not believe that we please God when we do such a thing. It is my contention today that we as believers talk a good game of love. Oh, I know it wasn't going to be no amens right there. But when it's time to play, we sink back into our flesh and fail to live the love we say we have for others. Perhaps no other major faith designation talks about love more than Christians. When you ask us what 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 how God's view is to the world. We're quick to quote John 3:16 for God so loved the world. We are quick to talk about loving one another, but the question becomes, do we really practice that which we talk about? Amen. Amen. Yet the facts in scripture are clear regarding our responsibility to love. It is not something we should merely converse about or even that which we should only have good intentions about. On the contrary, Scripture calls us to practice the love of Christ in every aspect of our lives. This love should resonate through our lives, And be especially evident as we love those who, those unlike us, those who do not love us, or those who are tough to love. One of the joys and beauty of this campus, of this church, is that we get the first-hand opportunity to love people just for being people. I'm so glad that I'm not burdened with this ideal, that I have to love you because you look like me. I'm so glad I'm not burdened with this ideal, that I have to love you because we speak the same language. I can just love you for who God made you to be. We are blessed. To have that opportunity. And, and now, in your case you're not convinced, here, here's some evidence from Scripture that I want to just throw out to you. And today, we may have to do the old-fashioned thing. of just kind of moving through the Bible. So watch this now. In Luke, you remember that before we had these screens and all that stuff? We used to have to actually look in the Bible? Okay, got it. All right. In Luke 6.35, and you might want to just write that down and go back to it later. Uh, scripture calls us to this active love an active love. Look at verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 35 of Luke. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Love your enemies. Look at this. And do good. Lend and expect nothing in return. That's a tough one, isn't it? Some of them say hey, give me five dollars, let me have five. Uh we're gonna hunt you down for that five dollars from now on. <laughs> Literally, I have been to somebody's funeral and the first said, Oh, I showed sure missing, but they owed me a little money it. <laughs> It's too late now, bro. I'm just <laughs> Look at Mark chapter chapter 12, verse 28 through 31. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, uh, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now look at verse 30. It says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. That is an active love. But watch this now. He says, the second greatest commandment is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than... Than these loving God with everything that you have and then an active love for your neighbor. John 13, 34 through 35 says this. Jesus says a new commandment I give to you that you love one Another. Now, he's talking to his disciples. He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. So you don't get to choose how you love one another. You love people the way God loves you. Amen. And just in case you didn't know, God loves you, not because of you, but in spite of you. Praise the Lord I'm I, look if you were really getting that you'd be celebrating right now because if you really if you really be honest about how you really are come on you know how you really are you know you have some honorary days you know you have some days if somebody say good morning to you you're like huh Touch somebody and say, don't be Oscar the Grouch. Don't be Oscar the (laughs) Grouch. But he says, love one another just as I love you. He says, you also are to love one another. Now look at verse 35. By this, the way in which you love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love is transformational. Now, regarding the transformational power of love, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. once said, love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. See, some of us have settled on the fact that we're just going to have enemies. Well, they're just never going to like me. No matter what I do, have you tried loving them? I'm not talking about that, you know, far away, I don't have to deal with you kind of love, you know, the kind of love we do when we testify in church on Sunday. I love everybody. God knows I do. I'm talking about an active love toward those who consider you an enemy. When was the last time you showed up at your enemy's house and said, let me give you a, a $50 gas car because I love you. Well, you can hear a mouse walk on cotton in here right now. Just. <laughs> I'm talking about an active, active love. In a world where we make enemies of those who are different than we are, transformational love is necessary more now than ever. We must have a transformational love. So as we navigate the text here in 1 Peter, my question is this. Is it unreasonable to expect Christians to actively demonstrate love for others as recipients of such a great love from God? I do not think it is unreasonable for God who calls us to mirror his holiness to also call us to mirror his great love. So if God calls us to holiness, he also calls us to mirror his love. And here's the problem with people who want to be holy all the time. You have this great idea that you're holy, but there's no love. And we find out very quickly that holiness is not... In the way you wear your hair or what clothes you wear or even those eloquent, holy thoughts that you speak out of your mouth. Holiness is where you live righteously for God. And in righteous living, I love my neighbor as myself. So how can you be holy and have no love for your neighbor? So Peter calls us to, he says, God calls us to this holiness, but he also calls us to a transformational love, a love that changes things. This is the love that Peter encouraged us to have for one another, transformational love made possible by the presence of a gospel reality in our lives. Transformational love is based, is a love based on who we are in Christ And upon the reality that the image of God resides in all of humanity made evident in all believers, regardless of their ethnic designation or their economic circumstance. So we don't love people just because they're like us. We love people because the image of God is in all people. Amen. Amen. I just I just gave you a methodology there on how to love sinners. We love sinners but not sin. Sinners have the image of God imprinted in their lives. For he created all people. I wish I had somebody in his image and likeness. So for those of you having trouble loving the homosexual. For those of you who have trouble loving the person that you know had an abortion, for those of you having trouble loving the person that you know that's been to prison, I'm telling you that you love the image of God in every human being. I often say, how is it that people who, be, who receive a scholarship can be talking about somebody else? I'm here by grace. That's a scholarship. Huh? I didn't pay for this; Christ paid for it. And so, and so, believers are called to be the great proving ground of the gospel by our love for and toward one another. We prove that the gospel is for all people. One of the things that the church must understand is that as we love one another, we prove. That the gospel is for everybody. People don't want to come to a church where folks don't love one another. So to understand this love to which God calls us all believers, Peter gives us four elements to consider. Peter gives us the when, the who, the how, and the why of transformational love. So we're going to go through, this, go through this, these four elements here. The first element is, when did believers receive this love? Look at verse 22. It says, having purified your souls by the obedience to the truth. Having purified your souls by the obedience to the truth. Scripture teaches that those who are unbelievers have no ability to, genu- to generate genuine and transformational love. So, so before you became a part of the body of Christ, you didn't have this ability to generate or to exude or to practice this transformational love. How do we know this? 1 John 3 and 10 says, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So you didn't have that ability before you became a believer. Now, so that that uh, leads us to this point. It was at salvation that believers received the capacity to practice transformational love. Romans 5 and 5 says this, And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love has been poured. That is a past tense action. God poured his love into your hearts the moment you believe the gospel. The moment you believe the gospel of Jesus, his love was poured into your heart. Now, that leads us to this. What about purification? Purifying your soul purification is the process of growing in moral purity and the previous call to holiness reveals this truth in the one hand and Peter said early on and we talked about it last week that we are called to be holy because God is holy. And so that holiness, that part of sanctification or purification is that process that is a call to moral purity. In the Greek grammar, the word having purified is what we call a perfect participle and can signify past action with continuing results. Now, however, we cannot be certain that 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 is what Peter means here, because in other places, Peter uses the perfect participle to allude to sanctification. Now, I'm not going to read these texts, but in 1 Peter 4, 1 through 2, the same perfect participle is used. In 2 Peter 1 and 12, the same perfect, perfect participle is used. So believers are not active agents in our salvation. In other words, we didn't do anything to, to actually earn or garner or gain God's favor in salvation. We're not active agents there. That salvation is a complete work of God. But we are active in the progressive work of sanctification, that is, becoming more like Christ. So Peter says this, having purified yourselves. Now, what does that mean? All of that, all of that means this, boils down to this one thing. Are you deciding every day that you want to live like Jesus Christ? That's what that's what sanctification is all about. Are you deciding every day of your life when you wake up, I want to be more like Christ today than I was yesterday? Once again, silence. (laughs) But it's good. It's good. We're getting there. And you've got to make that's what that's what it means to take an active part in your sanctification. See, too many of us rely and we lean back on this idea. Well, you got to forgive me because God is still working on me. How many times you heard that? I just cussed you out. God's not through with me yet. (laughs) That's an excuse for bad behavior. How How about you start working on you? How about you pick that Bible up off the end table, dust it off, and actually read it? Oh, I'm in trouble now. <laughs> so having purified yourself, look at what, look at what James says. He says in, in James chapter 4, verses 7 through 10, it says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Now it goes on to say, Resist the devil, but submit yourselves to God. That's an active role that you do. You decide to submit to God. We want God to come down here and force us to live righteous. And you know what God says? I'm not going to force you to live righteously, but I'm going to let you see what the full effects are when you don't. There are some consequences that come your way when you make a choice to live unrighteously. And God says, I'm not going to hold back those consequences because they ought to teach you how to choose righteousness. Always oh, two or three folks in here that get that. All right. James says in verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. These are all active things. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. And look at verse 10. It says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Now, as a result of our call to holy living within the context of the gospel, we experience and receive transformational and supernatural love. Okay, so we get it as soon as we as we become believers. Now, who are the recipients of our love? Peter goes on to say in this text, he says, for a sincere brotherly love. Watch this now. Let us make no mistake. Our Lord Jesus taught that his followers should love their enemies. I, I, I spoke about that earlier. You have in Matthew five, forty three through forty five, he says, You have heard that it was said, 'You shall should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Again, uh, that, that's Matthew, uh, the, uh, uh, really kind of repeating the, the text that was in Luke. That the God that God calls us, Jesus calls us to love our enemies. Yet Peter has another view in mind here. He is talking about targeting your sincere brotherly love toward the church or toward fellow. Believers. Now, why does Peter call the exiles to target fellow believers with a sincere brotherly love? Here are the reasons. First of all, Peter must, or believers must, set the defining standard for love in the world. It is up to us to set the standard for what real love is. Amen. We are the ones that are called to give the visual expression of what real love is. Look at what, again, John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another if you have love for one another. So we're called to set that defining standard. Now, here's the other reason that, that, that we must target uh, uh, believers with our love. Believers must visibly demonstrate the transformational power of God's love by loving one another. Now, this means our love for each other can draw people toward salvation. Have you ever been to a church where it is evident that people not only didn't love one another, but probably didn't even like one another. I've been to a couple of those churches in my life. And as I was sitting there already a believer, I was thinking to myself, how in the world would somebody want to join this place? I mean, I mean, why would they want to even be a part of an organization or organism that that people say they love one another but practice something else? They walk past each other and don't even speak. Hmm? I know none of that happens here, right? Not even a good morning, how you doing? Whatever, good to see you. Who wants to be a part of that place? You coming with burdens from life and crisis living and you think finally I made it into a place where I can be loved for who I am and who I want to be and you don't even get a good morning. Something is wrong with that picture. And so we, we, by our love for one another, the way we interact, the way we show this love for one another, we actually draw people to Christ. Because Abel can say that the source of his loving me, while it's in his heart now, the source was his love for Jesus and Christ's love for him. And if Christ loves him, then he's going to love his fellow brother in Christ. Now, some of y'all have some family members you don't like. <laughs> Just throw your hand up real fast. Don't let anybody see you. <laughs> I'm telling you that in God's family, there're gonna be people that are tougher to love than others. But I'm telling you, love them anyhow. Love them anyhow. Love them in spite of themselves. Love them anyhow. Look at what Paul says. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, in verse 31, he says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. He says, He says, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Don't do anything offensive. To people who are like you, people who are not like you, or to anybody in the church. He says, why? He says, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many. Now, this is an important phrase right here, that they may be saved. You see, the goal of that kind of love is so that people's lives will be transformed and come to know Jesus Christ. And, and when unbelievers walk in here, if they never report on anything else, they ought to report that Bethel Gary is a place where folks love one another. <laughs> this sincere love targets our fellow believers as a result of this process of sanctification, of being purified. Now, the third thing here is how are believers to love? How are we to love? Peter says this. This is his phrase. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. From a pure heart. The verb for love in this phrase becomes stronger than the previous verb for love. The previous verb for love was phileo, where we get the word Philadelphia, brotherly love. This verb right here for love, this word is agape. Agape which is a stronger sense of love. It is an unconditional love. It is a love that is sacrificial in its nature, by its very nature. So, so Peter seeks to reveal the manner by which believers are to love one another. We are called to an agape, unconditional, self-sacrificing love for one another. It is here that I believe the American church has missed a great opportunity for the gospel. It is because we've been selective with our love that our neighborhoods, cities, states, and nation unravel right before our our eyes. Because we've been selective. We've been choosing who we want to love. We've been loving people that we think deserve to be loved. We've been loving people the way we want to love them instead of the way in which Christ loves us. And and we've missed a great opportunity for the gospel. If the church would only stop trying to justify why we must remain economically, ethnically and socially separate and get down to the business of showing the world that we are truly transformed by the gospel, then our land will be transformed. Watch this. this, 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 brought new light for me on, on what God said to Solomon in, 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 second Chronicles, you know, the verse we quote all the time, second Chronicles 14, but I want you to look at second Chronicles 13, uh, seven, 13 and 14. He says, God's, God is saying this to Solomon. Now He's saying, when I shut up the heavens, look at that. When I, God says, I'm, I'm going to do this. I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain. Or command the locusts to devour the land. God says, I'm doing this. Watch this. Or send pestilence among my people. We don't think of God as doing those kind of things. God says, don't give the weatherman the blues. I made it so it wouldn't rain. God says the 17-year locusts go at my command, not every 17 years, but whenever I say so. Watch this now. Watch this now. He says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, what does this mean for us in this love thing? It means this. We are in a love drought in the church. It's a drought, a love drought. It's dry. It's dry. Love ought to rain down like a powerful thunderstorm. Love ought to be so apparent when you come into uh, contact with fellow believers that both of you just get soaked with the love. Oh, I wish I had somebody there'll be so much love that we'd be like, oh, I just can't get away from it. Because love ought to, to just be that powerful and that evident. We are in a love drought. And the pestilence, my brothers and sisters, and I'm talking about in the church, the pestilence of ethnic division eats away at the witness of the gospel. Because we start talking about they and them. And what they are doing, where they are, that's their church. That's their way. That's how they do it. We don't do it like that. Before you leave today, there's an article that I want you to take a look at. It's at the, at the table. It's called, um, There is No They in Christ. I want you to get that and read it and tell me what you think about it. There is no they in Christ. See, they has to become we. When they becomes we, there's love that germinates from that. There is no, well, we're down there for them. You're here for us, for we. This isn't, this isn't some project that we cooked up in our mind on the, on, the, on the idea stove of Bethel Church. That's not what happened. This is for us. This is for the body of Christ. There is no they in Christ. Watch this now. This type of love must come from within and not from outward motivation. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit produces this love in the believer. And Peter alludes to this fruit of God's presence. See, one of the fruit of the Spirit is love. is that right? The fruit of the Spirit, Bible says, is love. As a matter of fact, isn't that the first one that's mentioned? So before anything else, what the Holy Spirit produces in your life is that attribute of God, that nature of God that is love. The first thing, don't tell me how much Holy Ghost you have and you can't love. Don't try to impress me with bouncing all around this sanctuary, lifting up your hands. You can run like a track meet and you don't have love. Don't tell me what kind of tongues you speak in and you don't have love. Don't tell me how holy you are and you have no love. God reproduces himself in believers. The fruit of the spirit, what is produced by his presence is not your gift, but it's his nature. Did you get that? Look, I I, I didn't really stay here this long, but let me tell you, let me tell you this thing. The gift of administration is not a fruit of the spirit. You don't see that on that list. You don't see the gift of wisdom on that list. You don't see the gift of giving on that list. But in Galatians 5, you see love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, self-control. Well, why don't we see gifts? Because God is more interested in reproducing himself in you than your ability to do something. God God understands this. If, If he focus on your gifts without his presence being reproduced in his nature in your life, then your gifts would go nuts. And we see that, don't we? All these so-called gifted people that don't love Jesus, that can't love their brother, that look at somebody different and, and say, oh, you know, you're different, you go over there. Wouldn't you be more comfortable at that church down the street? God is not interested in reproducing. See, gifts, gifts wouldn't mean anything without his presence and his nature. It is his nature and his presence and the reproduction of his presence that makes it possible for the correct operation of your gifts. That's why Paul says this. He says, I keep myself under subjection so that when I preach to others, I won't be disqualified. My gift can't be more important than his presence and his nature in my life. I didn't intend on staying there that long. I got two minutes to finish this. Watch this now. So the last thing is the why. We've looked at the when. We looked at the how. We looked at the who. Why? Why should believers love? And look at verse 23. He says, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Just as the motivation for pursuing holiness is in and of itself the awesome grace of God, the pursuit of love for our fellow believers is not without motivation. Our motivation for love or why we do it is because of these reasons, at least these reasons. Number one, in this text, we have been born again. everybody say born again don 't you let anybody make you feel bad about being born again? You know folks to say to us you 're not one of those born again, Christians, are you? Is there any other kind i 'm just saying you know, they treat Christianity like you buying detergent, you know you get all tied. OxyClean, all that stuff gain all that no it's not like that Uh, the only way you can be a christian is to be born again so be thankful look when they when they say that stand up yes i'm a born again christian stick your chest out like that yes praise be to god i'm born again and so peter says that your motivation for love is because we have been born again and, it was, and that born again is a past transformation that is producing permanent and present results. Because you've been born again, that born again continues to produce results in your life. And one of those results is this desire to love the brothers in Christ, to love them. And so we, we've been born again. Watch this now. The second reason is because we love because we are immersed in Christ and his community of fellow believers. Immersed. Paul says it like this in Romans. He says, don't you know that when you are baptized, you are baptized into his death and baptized into his life. He's not talking about water. He's talking about you have now been immersed. You've been dipped. You have plunged in Christ Jesus. The water is just a demonstration of what happened in the spiritual baptism. In that spiritual baptism, like Christ went to the cross and died, I went and died unto myself. I have an old man that's dead, a renewed mind, and because of Christ, I have a new man that I can put on. Praise be to God. I'm immersed in Christ. And when you're immersed in Christ, this is for all the people in here that think you don't have to go to church. You don't have to be around believers. You know, you're going to praise and worship at home. You're going to get your praise on at home. You don't really need this. You don't need anybody telling you and preaching to you and all this kind of stuff? Watch this now. You are not just immersed in the Christ, but being baptized into Christ means baptized into his community of fellow believers. Our growth as believers is never meant to happen outside of the community of believers. God has no lone wolves. There's nobody that God designates. You just be by yourself. You just do this thing by yourself. You are baptized into a community a community of faith. It's not a perfect community. It's a a community that's growing and developing and being sanctified every day, but it's still God's community. And God expects you to connect to his community. Now, the third reason, the third reason here, that Peter says, is that the seed of our, we love because the seed of our new birth can never die. Look at somebody and say, never die, never die. It can never die. The seed of our new birth can never die. Human reproduction, and I learned this in biology class, ultimately results in death. The best DNA that produces a child will still produce a child that will ultimately die. The best stock, athletic, pro ball players, pro track stars get together, make a baby. You think, wow, that baby's got it made. That baby will ultimately die. Human reproduction produces death ultimately. But being born again in Christ, is the product of what Peter calls an imperishable seed. It means we will never die. Watch this. That seed of God that produced us will never die. Finally, we love because the foundation of our new birth is the living and eternal word of God. We love because we have a promise from the Father that is eternal. The promises and words of men, as we look at this passage down through verse 24 and 25, are like grass. Human beings are like grass. Now, you just think of the imagery there for a minute, those, those of you who mow your own grass. You know, you mow that grass and, then, and you do it all summer and then comes fall, the grass begins to turn brown. And it's not the same as it was. It withers. It goes, it, it, it dies In a very real sense, it doesn't have the same elements of green and life that it had before. And that's how the words of men are. And for you out here today and you're trusting the words of men, let me tell you, the words of men will pass away. But Peter reminds us that it is the promise of God that remains forever. The Bible says that he's given us his Holy Spirit, which is the earnest of our inheritance which lets us know I made a down payment on you. Somebody ought to get excited about that right now. I I made a down payment on you. I, I, I went and I put something down to let you know that one of these days I'm coming back to get what I put my money on. I'm coming back to get what I laid my life down for. I am going to get you. We have the promise of God. We love one another, brothers. And sisters, because we have a word we can trust, it does not rely upon the actions of those whom we love, but it relies on the enduring gospel word of God. The good news was preached to us, and that good news reminds us of who we are in Christ Jesus. Come on, let's give the Lord some praise today. Amen. As our worship team comes, As our worship team comes, I'm led today.